Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, if you missed uh, our Christmas in Hercules event last night, uh, we'll forgive you and uh, ask you to come out tonight and enjoy it. It's a wonderful time. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Bring some friends, bring some family, and just have a wonderful time celebrating the Savior's birth. So 5.30 tonight, we'll be here, rain or shine, and uh, we'll have a ball together. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, and it's on page 831 uh, on the pew Bibles that are provided there for you, uh, in front of you, if you'd like to turn there. And I, I want to confess to you before we get started that I, I feel a little bit of a heavy burden uh, right now, and it's not because uh, I have still a lot of Christmas shopping to do, although that is certainly uh, a little bit burdensome, <laughs> right? Fighting traffic and uh, all that stuff, trying to get shipments here on time. Uh, no, that's not it. It's not even so much that, you know, uh, finishing up my school semester and, you know, many of you are finishing up and school's almost done and that weight is off our shoulders too and that's great. But no, I feel this heavy burden because of the weight of the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. And, and uh, I, I feel very puny, very tiny. I feel like, as Paul said, we just carry this treasure in jars of clay. And so if you'd put up with a jar of clay this morning and uh, I'll put up with all of you jars of clay, let's just try and think about how we can fit these great mysterious truths into our minds and into our hearts so that God would transform us. I mean, awesome stuff. But Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus doesn't intend to put any burden of guilt or any weight of, of guilt upon us, but he wants to set us free. And so uh, we're, we're in this tension of these weighty mysteries of the truths of the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, and yet when we come to him and we embrace him, he relieves our burdens. And so considering this great burden, this great weight this morning, I think it would be appropriate if we started in a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads and ask for God's help to understand what he wants us to learn today. Father in heaven, we love you. And making that statement, it, it just seems so inadequate. <laughs> for all that you've done for us, uh, we, we do say we love you. I thank you that you've brought us here today, uh, your flock together to gather in this building where we're dry, we're warm, we're not under any threat, Father, and that's a privilege. Thank you for that. Uh, but Father, I pray that this privilege wouldn't lull us to sleep, but that it would awaken and quicken our hearts, that we would be eager to hear your word today. Your word is living and active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces down into our hearts, even, even down to our souls. Who's adequate for these things? But, Father, we know that uh, we could agree with the psalmist who said, Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. Oh, there's some wonderful things in Philippians 2. Would you open some eyes today? Open my ears. Open our hearts and minds. And, Father, for those who may be here today that have never had the blinders taken off their eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, would you do that right now? As they hear the good news of Jesus Christ and experience His glory from the Scriptures, open their eyes so that they would be saved. But do a work in all of us now, we ask. And we trust that you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, bear this weight, this burden with me, would you? Let's consider this great mystery of the humility of Jesus Christ. The humility of Jesus Christ. We're in the third week of a series all month in December where we're considering themes about Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Phil 
uh, Howard helped us understand the deity of Jesus Christ, his deity from John chapter 1. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see that in John chapter 1. Last week we saw in Hebrews 2 that this Son of God, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, who's, who's the Son of God, He added a hum human body to Himself so that He could save us and so that He could redeem us. And so we're just considering these mysteries, fully God, fully man, and this morning we're going to consider this humility. And the title is Behold his humility. Behold, look at, gaze upon, and seek to understand his humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. But before we do, I, I just want to read a verse for you. Proverbs three thirty four. It says this of God, he mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. James chapter 4, verse 6, and 1 Peter 5, 5 says it this way. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor or gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I think for the most part, we came into this building today not seeking to be opposed by God. <laughs> I don't want to be opposed by God. Uh, I think that if you're in your right mind, you don't want to be opposed by God. All power, all knowledge, all authority the creator of heaven and earth, I, I don't want to be on his bad side. I don't like being on the wrong side with my wife. It makes me very uncomfortable. I like to be on her good side. But especially, do we not want to be on God's bad side? We want to be on his good side. We want not to experience his opposition. We want to experience his favor. So that begs the question then. If we want to flee from pride and pursue humility, what is humility. What is humility? What does it mean to be humble? Well, there's all places that we can look at. I mean, just look at our politicians. Humility, right? Look at our movie stars and our sports stars. Humility, right? Where do we look to for humility? Where do we find it? Can we find it in each other? I hope that we can. Can you find it, find it in a, a family member? Can you find it in a, a pastor? Can you find it in a, a co-worker? Can you find it in, in a child? What is humility? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul exhorts the church at Philippi. He says, I want you to be humble. And then in verses 5 through 11, he gives us the definition, the picture of humility and just like you would answer in Sunday school, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. What is humility? Jesus is the definition of humility. Let's take a look at our verses this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus 
who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What a text. What, 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 what an amazing passage we have here. Paul is saying, I, I want you to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I want you to share in his thought processes. I want you to think like he thought. I want you to have an attitude of the heart that imitates Jesus. I want you to imitate his love. I want you to imitate his sharing of the Spirit. I want you to imitate his tenderness and his compassion. I want you to be like each other, like-minded, united in mind. But whose mind are you supposed to be like? The mind of Jesus. Have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's, that's quite a mouthful. And as, and as Paul goes on to describe it, he doesn't just start writing a paragraph of what the humility of Jesus is like. He just starts listing all these characteristics. You know, sometimes he gives lists. Fruit of the Spirit is a great list. He could have just given us the list of what the humility of Jesus is like, but it's believed that instead of just giving us a list, Paul writes a hymn. He writes a song. And in fact, it's believed that this was a song and a hymn that the early church sang about their Lord and their Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul is referring back and saying, hey, do you know that song that we sing about? I want you to think about the truths of that song, and I want you to imitate Jesus, just like that song portrays Jesus' humility. I, instead of giving us a, a, you know, a, a theological manual, Paul says, I want you to sing a song to remind yourselves about how we should be imitating Jesus. You see, these verses aren't just meant to be read. They're meant to be celebrated. They're meant to be sung. They're meant to fill our hearts with praise and adoration to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And yet at the same time, Paul uses it as an illustration to help us understand how we are to Im imitate the humility of Jesus. The humility of Jesus. What does it look like to be humbled? We're going to look at Jesus Christ himself. Four ways, four ways that this hymn that Paul writes down for us, four ways that we can see and how we can imitate the humility of Jesus. First of all, we can imitate the, the humility of Jesus because Christ Jesus valued us. Christ Jesus valued us. Secondly, the humility of Jesus is displayed in that Christ Jesus poured himself out for us. Christ Jesus poured himself out for us. Thirdly, Christ Jesus humbled himself for us. Right? That goes without saying. To show humility, he humbled himself. But I think you'll see what I mean in just a few moments. Christ Jesus humbled himself for us. And then fourthly, Christ Jesus waited to be honored by his Father for us. Christ Jesus waited to be honored by his Father 
for us. Let's take a look at these aspects of the humility of Jesus Christ that we're called to hum, uh, imitate. Verse 6, again, in Hebrews 2 says, uh, excuse me, not Hebrews, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 6 says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus, the man that, that the apostles walked around with, the baby that Mary held in her arms was in the very nature or in the very form as God. He's equal with God because he is God. We're not ashamed to say that. Jesus is God. It says that he was in the very nature of, of God. This, this means that he was in the form his very form, his, his very uh, nature, it, it means that he is God. You, you can't replicate something in a form without it actually taking the nature of that thing. You see, God is so big, God is so immense, God is so glorious that to be in the form of God means that you are God as well. Jesus is God. It's not a mirage. It's, it's not just something that he uh, uh, achieve, was achieving to, to, to get. It's not something he was working for. It's something he was. We're not just finding out who Jesus is. We're finding out what Jesus is. Jesus is God. This is his nature. He was in the very form as God. His nature, God's character, God's essence. I mean, these are things that my, my brain just can't really wrap my mind around. These truths are amazing. His nature. In this man, we have God, his nature, his character, and not only that, but all the prerogatives, all the advantages of being God. Wouldn't you love to be God for a day? I, don't answer that. You really wouldn't want to be. But, but I, mean, I mean, to have the advantages, let's just say you get to have the authority of being God for a day. I mean, think about that. All the blessedness, all the peace, all the joy, all the authority, all the happiness, angels serving you whenever you want them. Uh, it, it's happening in heaven. God's will is happening in heaven. We want it to happen on earth. There isn't anything that God wants accomplished in heaven that he, he says it, it hap, for it to happen and it doesn't happen. He has all the advantages, all the prerogatives. John 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You go back to the beginning and, and you want to try and see who could be an eyewitness to show us exactly how creation happened. Well, there's only, there's only one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can't reproduce it with the scientific method. You don't have any snapshots of it. No iPhone videos of it. There's just one person who was there and he tells us, I was there and I did it. I was there at the beginning. Jesus Christ was there at the beginning. In his nature, in his prerogatives, in his authority, he is God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says of Jesus, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus said, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at me. I perfectly manifest to you what he is like. And it says that Jesus is sustaining all things by, the power, by his powerful word, word, word. Excuse me. Friends, this planet is spinning. 
And then this planet is, is, is orbiting around the sun. And it's a part of a solar system that's orbiting around the sun. And it's a part of a, of a galaxy that's, that's in motion. And it's a part of the gigantic universe. And guess why that's all happening? Guess who's holding it all together? Jesus is holding it all together by his powerful word. In the very nature, God, the very form, the very nature the exact representation, and we had that in a human body. It's mystery. It's mystery. Well, he had all the advantages, all the prerogatives, everything that comes along with being God, he had it. But listen to this, verse 6 says, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't look out for his own interests. We see Philippians 2, 4, says, I want you to not look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Here's Jesus as the Son of God, existing in perfect, perfect presence with the Father and with the Spirit in heaven, with all the advantages of being God. And he said, I can't stay here. I, I can't stay here. We sang the song, it says, He came down. He could have stayed there. He could have stayed on His throne, but that's not the God He is. That's not the God he was. To love us from a distance just wasn't good enough. Considering all the happiness, all the power, all the authority over angels and over creation, over all the world, perfect knowledge and perfect joy. John 17, 5, Jesus is praying. He, he tells the Father, he says, Father, glorify me in the future here very soon. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What a statement. He says, take me back to that place where I was at the beginning of time. I want to go back there again, but now you have me down here to finish your work, but take me back there. He came down, friends. He came down. He left all the privileges, all the advantages because he valued you and he valued me. He was compassionate. He did not remain distant and far off. That's not the kind of God he is. It just wasn't good enough. He didn't stay away from us in the comforts of heaven. He didn't look down and say, oh, what a mess they have themselves in. It's their fault. Just give them what they deserve. I don't want to think about it anymore. They brought this all upon themselves. No. He was full of mercy and pity and compassion he felt it deep down. He had compassion for his creatures. Matthew 9.36, speaking of the inner emotional life of Jesus, Matthew 9.36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He pitied them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Benjamin Warfield puts it this way, the great Princeton theologian, he said this, there was God amidst all the pleasures, all the privileges, all the advantages of heaven, and he ached for souls, lost souls. Jesus came down because he ached for souls. The Son of God dwelled in all the blessedness of highest heaven, but he ached for his creatures, and so he left his advantages behind to come down for us. He came down. Friends, this Christ Jesus, we see his humility and that he valued us. He didn't leave us, but he ached for you and he ached for me. 
And so he left his privilege. He left his advantages so that he could become like us because he valued us. Well, we see that Christ's humility is found in, in how he valued us, but then we also see that Christ Jesus poured himself out for us. Philippians 2.7 says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It says here he made himself nothing. Now, some of you, if you've got some other English translations, okay, you may have an English translation that, that has a little bit of a different word. It may say that he emptied himself. Some of you may see that, right? He made himself nothing or he emptied himself. So that, that idea, this emptying, we call it the kenosis, right? It's, it's a famous passage of theologians. That, what does this mean, this emptying, this making himself nothing, this kenosis, this pouring out, this emptying? What, what does that mean? Some have ventured to say, well, he had to empty himself of his deity, of his godness, so that he could fill his container up with humanness or humanity, Right? You've got a cup full of juice or coffee or something like that. If you try and dump a whole full cup of coffee in there, it's going to overflow and you can't make it happen, right? And so you have to empty out the one to put something else in. And so that's the idea of emptying here, that, that Jesus emptied himself of deity and emptied himself of all the godness so they could put humanness in there. So some have ventured to, to say that's what this means. What we say here, because, because of the testimony of the Scriptures— and because of the illumination of the Spirit in our hearts, we say perish the thought that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. Oh no, 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 no. Jesus walking along by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus in his mother's arms nursing at her breast is no less God than he was for all of eternity. He emptied himself of not one drop of his deity. It says he made himself nothing. Sure, he emptied himself, but, but what does that mean then? If it doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his deity, what did he pour out? What, what did he, how did he become nothing? Well, it's, it's there in the verse. Let, let's look at it. He made himself nothing. That indicates to us what he did, and here is how he did it. By taking the very nature of a servant. By being made in human likeness. So he made himself nothing by first taking the nature or form of a servant. Do you see that here? Remember, it says he was in the very nature God. And it doesn't say he, he gave up that nature, but it says in order to become nothing, he took on another nature. He took on the nature and the form of a human. He took on the nature and the form of a servant. He was already in the nature or form of God because he is and he was God. Now at the incarnation, now what we see of what we celebrate at Christmas is that he was emptying himself and that he was adding a human nature to himself and he was going to be poured out as a servant. He was going to be poured out as a servant. In order to be poured out, he had to add, add a human nature to himself and pour that nature out as a servant. He had to empty himself as a servant. He had to be made nothing as a servant. Matthew 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Remember, every advantage in heaven, yet for his sake he became poor. He added a human nature to himself and poured himself out so that through his poverty you might become rich. Friends, this is what it means that Jesus emptied himself. He didn't empty any deity. He added a human nature to himself and he poured it all out. He poured it all out as a servant. He was made in human likeness. Now it says he was made in human likeness. Does that mean he was just kind of like a human, but not really a human? I mean, like, if you did he really have like saliva and hair and fingernails and and, and, and toes and, and all that stuff? Did he really and teeth? Did he have all that? Yes, he did. It says he, he came in human likeness, not because he wasn't really human, but because he wasn't merely human. See, he was in human likeness, I'll say it again, not because he wasn't really human, but because he wasn't merely human. Jesus was God, but he was more than that. He's also man. Jesus was a man, but he's more than that. He's also God. Oh, the mystery. The mystery. When I walk up to you, when you walk up to me, all you see is 100% human being. That's all there is. Nothing more, nothing less. And when I walk up to you, you know what I see and who I talk to? 100% human being. Nothing more, nothing less. But those that encountered this Jesus, they didn't see a fake man. They saw a real man. But he wasn't merely a man. He's also God. Being found in human likeness, he was not merely a man. He's also God. Hebrews 10.5 says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. There it is, the Son of God there, and Christ came into the world, and God said, I got the body that you need right here. You take on this humanity, and Christ said, I'm taking on this humanity, and I'm going to pour it all out as a servant. Every drop of this humanity is going to be poured out so that I could seek and to save the lost. Friends, we see that Christ showed his humility and that he valued us, but now we see that Christ showed his humility and that he poured himself out for us as a servant. If you remember the story of Jesus, getting toward the end of his ministry in John chapter 13, it says that he was thinking about some of these things. He recognized that he had come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father and the Father had put all things into his hands. And as he's thinking about as he's thinking about his deity and this relationship that he has as the triune God, you know what he did? He, 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 he wrapped a towel around himself and he got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. This mystery. This, this person that is fully man, but he's not merely man. He's also God. Humbling himself. Pouring himself out for us. His last words on that cross, he said, it is finished. I've poured it all out for you. I've emptied myself. I've made myself nothing for all these years so that I could save a people, so that I could save you, so that he could save me. He was poured out for us. He served. He became acquainted with our pains. He became familiar with our hurts and our sorrows and our griefs. He came, friends, to feel it for us. He was a man of sorrows, Isaiah 52 and 53 say. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why would he do that? Because he valued us. And he poured himself out for us. 
You see, he entered the mess of this world. He entered the brokenness. He entered the hurt. He entered the pain. He entered even the death of this world. He was poured out for you. He was poured out for me. What a Savior. He poured himself out. The humility of Christ. Behold his humility. Well, we see his humility in that he valued us. We just looked in the fact that he showed his humility and that he poured himself out for us. And thirdly, we see his humility and that as a man, he further humbled himself for us. Now, he humbled himself, verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, he humbled himself, but we also know that he was humiliated. He was humiliated. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was unjustly treated as a criminal. He was unjustly tried. He was nailed to a cross. I, he was it, it was, it was awful. It, he didn't deserve any of it. He was humiliated. So is that what it means to be humble? That you have to be humiliated? But see, what Jesus did is that he wasn't just humiliated, but he was willingly humiliated. He obeyed at the cost of his life, and he humbled himself. John 10, verses 17 to 18 says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. You see, Jesus, certainly he was humiliated, but he said, I am laying down my life. Jesus, when, when Peter was getting ready to defend him with a sword, he said, hold on a second. I could call a whole legion of angels who could deliver me right now. Don't think that this situation is out of my control. Don't think that these circumstances are going to turn me into a martyr. Oh, no, no, no. I will be humiliated, but it's only because I will it to be so. Jesus humbled himself. He had all the divine privileges and all the divine advantages of being the Son of God, but he laid those aside and willingly humbled himself. And he humbled himself, and his humility is reflected in the fact that he obeyed the will of his Father. Again, the, the Father loved him because he was willing to obey the Father. At his baptism, the father spoke out and he said, this is my beloved son. I am well pleased with him. He obeyed everything that the father had for him. But, but look at this obedience. Many times we think of obedience meaning that I just have to stop doing stuff, right? Can't do this, can't do that. You know, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I just have a lot of lists of don'ts, right? But Jesus obeyed negatively and positively everything that the father had for him. And he obeyed so much that he even obeyed to the extent that it was at the cost of his own life. It says again in Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. None of us in this room have become obedient to death. What great, what humble humility. He said, I'll obey you, Father, even if it costs me my life. This is the kind of humility that we're called to imitate. Who is sufficient for these things? And it wasn't just that he was willing to obey at the cost of his life, but he obeyed to the point of death, even, even death on a cross. 
He could have said, I'll obey you, and I'll even die. But you know what, Father? Can we figure out this plan where, like, you just give me this pill, and I just quietly die in my sleep? He didn't. He said, I'm going to become willing to obey you to the point of death, and I'm willing even to shed my blood and be cursed on the tree. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The mocking, the beating, the nails, the spear in his side, the crown of thorns on his head, him hanging in humiliation on a cross. And he said, I'm willing to go there. I will humble myself. Oh, this humility, this humility. He humbled himself for us. Do you, do you see the stages here? We see the stages in this, this song, this hymn that, that Paul is, is, is writing and he's, he's showing the, the Philippians. He says, he was in the nature of the form of God. All the privileges, all, all the benefits, and yet he said, I, I'm moved, I've got to go down. And he, he, he gave up the divine privileges. He didn't stop being God, but he gave up privileges so that he could become like us. And not just one of us, but he became our servant. He served us. And not only that, but he was obedient to everything the Father asked him to do. And that obedience included death. And it wasn't just death, but it was a death on a cross. One of the worst, most humiliating deaths that anybody could ever experience. What we see here, friends, is that we see the Son of God in the heights of heaven as fully God. And yet he comes down and becomes man and goes to the depths for us. There is no way to measure the gap between the highest heights and the lowest lows for this person. In fact, John Owen, the great Puritan theologian, called it infinite humility. Infinite humility. He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As we see the humility of Jesus, we see that Christ Jesus valued us. He gave up his own advantages because he valued us. Secondly, we see that Christ Jesus poured himself out for us. We just saw thirdly that Christ Jesus humbled himself for us. And fourthly, Christ Jesus waited to be honored by his Father for us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. According to these verses, as I read this, there are some who reject Jesus Christ as Lord today, but there will be a day of reckoning someday when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No exception. Everyone will see it, and everyone will believe, because he is Lord. God exalted him to that place. God the Father exalted him to the highest place. And that's what was happening there. As the disciples were there, and they were walking around with Jesus 40 days after his resurrection, and they're talking with him, all of a sudden, his feet start lifting up off the ground, and they're watching him, and I just stood there with my mouth wide open, and there he goes, and he's gone. God the Father brought him back up to heaven, and he exalted him. He didn't just get a place among the angels. He didn't just even get a place like kind of over to the side. He got to go to the highest place. This God-man. Now, for all of eternity past, God had a rightful place there. 
But now the God-man had a rightful place there too. God the Father exalted this God-man to the highest place. You see, Jesus already had these things. They already belonged to him as the Son of God, but now he earned it also as the Son of Man. And so now, as God in the flesh, we could say every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. The name that is above every name. Friends, I, I believe th this Lord title, this Lord name is the same name that God revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses was confused. He said, what am I going to do? If I go back and tell them that you sent me, who am I going to tell the Israelites who sent me? And he said, tell them my name. I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. Tell them that I am sent me, sent you. This is the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. This is a God-man who has the name Lord. What mystery. What marvelous mystery. Ephesians 1, 20-21 says about the power He exerted. This is God the Father. The power He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Friends, th this is the one that we heard last week. This is the one who calls us brother. <laughs> he brings us into his family. And this family is headed and cheaped by the one who is exalted above all kings, above all powers. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Friends, that's the one who calls you brother. He, but he waited for the Father. See, he could have he stepped out and said, okay, enough of this humanity stuff. Enough, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Let me get back there, okay? I, I, don't, I don't know fully the whole decree of God and the mystery of God. I don't, that couldn't have happened, though. But I mean, I, I think Jesus had the right to do that, right? He's the Son of God, but he didn't do that. He said, no, I know that my exaltation's coming, but I'm not going to exalt myself. I am going to wait. I'm going to go through everything the Father wants me to do, and I'm going to wait for Him to exalt me. I will not exalt myself. So we see here, the fourth aspect of this humility is that Christ Jesus valued us above Himself. Christ Jesus poured Himself out for us as a servant. Christ Jesus humbled Himself to death on a cross for us, and we see that rather than exalting Himself, He waited to be honored and exalted by his Father for us so that he could complete the mission. This is awesome, friends. This is awesome. How do we, how do we respond to these things? These, these things are mysterious for me, and I, and I hope you, you understand a little bit of the mystery today and feel the weight of that. This Christmas season isn't just about the stuff. This, this Christmas season is about this mystery of the humility and the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. So how, how do we respond to these things? What do we do today? I mean, we just here to really just learn theology and say, hey, that was great. What, what do we do with these things? I, I think the first thing that we do is that we, we celebrate His love. We celebrate His humility. We sing it. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come. Oh, come let us adore Him. Let us adore Him. Let us worship Him. Oh, how our love is so small. 
Our, our love is puny. And even at this time of year, we have all of these Christmas traditions. I love them. I love seeing lights. I love the trees. I love the baked goods quite a bit, right? I love watching Christmas movies. My mom and I, every year, we watch It's a Wonderful Life together, right? I, I have to watch it or else it's just not Christmas, right? But, but we love these things, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, uh, you know, I got to go do my duty. I, I got to go to church. I got to remember, yeah, it's about the Savior, Jesus, the reason for the season, you know. But we, we, we get excited and we love the, 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 the traditions, but we forget about the Savior. Oh, come, let us adore him. What do we do with such a mystery? We celebrate it. We speak of it. We, we tell others about it. Will you adore him this season? Will you bow the knee? The humble, exalted Savior, will you bow the knee and confess him as Lord? I said earlier, according to this text, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. I hope that you won't do that in judgment. I hope that today, today you will bow the knee and confess him as Lord of your life and receive eternal life and become part of his family. Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you bow the knee today? Will you celebrate his love? Will we do it? Will we celebrate him in his humility? Well, not only are we supposed to celebrate this, but finally, we're, we're missing the whole point of this text. It's, it is about Jesus, but Paul's bringing it up because he's calling us to imitate Jesus. He's calling us to imitate him. I'm not making this stuff up. Look at verse 5, Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This incarnation, this deity and humanity is, is mysterious, and yet we're called to imitate it. Now, now here's the thing. You never will be God becoming man. You, you can't imitate that. But on a much smaller degree, we imitate Jesus all the time. When we show off his humility in our own humility. We imitate the, our incarnation every time we show people Jesus. Well, first of all, we saw that Jesus valued us, and that's how he humbled us. Let me ask you, do you value all, all people as Jesus did? Do you value all people as Jesus did? Put it another way, as Benjamin Warfield said, do we ache? Do we ache for souls? The example of Christ and the exhortation of Paul found themselves upon a sense of the unspeakable value of souls. Our Lord took no account of himself only because the value of the souls of men pressed upon his heart. And following him, we are not to consider our own things, but those of others, just because, uh, just because earth, or everything earthly that concerns us is as nothing compared with their eternal welfare. Father, uh, friends, th this season isn't about stuff. It's about souls. Do we ache for souls? Do we ache as Jesus did? Do you value all people as Jesus did? Will you humble yourself as Jesus did and imitate him in aching for souls? leaving the comfort, leaving the advantages, leaving the prerogatives that you have as a human being, as, as, as a citizen of the United States of America, you have prerogatives. However, friends, Jesus left 
to the advantages of the throne of God so that he could come and save souls? Will we leave any comforts in this life because we ache for a soul? Not only did Jesus value us, but he also poured himself out for us. In what ways ought you to be poured out for another? How we pour ourselves out in our relationships points to our humble Savior. When moms pour out themselves for their kids and their mothering. When dads pour out themselves for their kids and their fathering. When husbands pour themselves out for their wives and their husbandry. When wives pour themselves out for their husbands as a wife. When we pour ourselves out for our neighbors and our co-workers and for each other, when we pour ourselves out, we're pointing to our humble Savior. When we hold anything back, we're not imitating Jesus. Do you want others to see Jesus in you? I believe that there are some sincerely evangelistic people in this audience here, people that truly do feel an ache of the soul for their neighbor for their loved one, for their family, and they're asking themselves, what do I do about it? We, we follow Jesus. We imitate him. We pour ourselves out for them. Do you want others to see Jesus in you? You must pour yourself out for them. Who are you going to pour yourself out for this Christmas season so that when they see it and they go, that was amazing that you did that for me, you don't take any credit for yourself and you say, I am only smallly imitating the great humility of my Savior for you. I'm glad you appreciate the gift. I'm glad you appreciate the gesture. But I want you to see the Savior. And we imitate Him that way. If you want others to see Jesus in you, we've got to pour ourselves out for others. We have to ache in our souls for them, for their souls, and pour ourselves out. It's so convicting. Thirdly, to what extent will you humble yourselves for others? What will it cost you our humility is often self-serving. Often our humility is to save face. You go, well, I'm going to act humble because I don't want people to look at me and think I'm a really selfish jerk, <laughs> that I'm a really arrogant guy, right? So our humility is kind of this facade, this game that we play. And so we put on this air of humility just so that people don't look at us and say, that guy is really arrogant, that guy's a jerk, right? He's really proud for that gal, right? See how self-serving that is? You see, the, the kind of humility that Jesus is, is, is telling us to exhibit, to imitate, is it, it gives up everything for the sake of the other. What will humility cost you? Will it go beyond just saving face and do real benefit for the other? The real benefit for the other in your life, for your spouse, for your child, for your neighbor, for your grandchild, for your classmate, for your coworker. Will they see that you're willing to pay a price to show off Jesus to them? Will it cost you anything? Finally, in imitating Christ's humility, because this sounds humiliating, will you wait for God to exalt you? You see, Christ's humility was not the end of his journey. We saw it. The Father exalted him to the highest place. And it says in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. Friends, humility is not the end of the story. 
we imitate our Savior, and, and we imitate it in the fact that we know that one day our Father is going to exalt us too. We will be with our Savior and our Lord, and we will reign with Him. This is how we imitate His humility. We value others just as Christ valued us. We pour ourselves out for others just as He poured Himself out for us. We humble ourselves even when it costs us something because that's what He did for us. And we wait to be honored by the Father just as He was honored by the Father for us. Finally, a few words. Benjamin Warfield said, Let all the thought of our dignity, our possessions, our rights perish out of sight when Christ's service calls to us. Let the mind be in us that was also in Him when He took no account of Himself but God as He was, took the form of a servant and humbled Himself. He who was Lord to lowly obedience, even unto death, and that the death of the cross. In such a mind as this, where is the end of unselfishness? Here's the beauty of the incarnation. Jesus humbled himself. Here's the attitude of Christmas, that we imitate his humility, that we would imitate his incarnation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, who is sufficient for these things? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I thank you that he came down. I thank you that he's not the kind of God who just stays up in heaven and, and leaves us in our mess, but no, no. He didn't just love us from a distance. That, that wasn't good enough. He came down. He came down. Thank you that he came down. Father, I pray that you'd teach us to be a people that to truly celebrate this incarnation. We would adore him and that we would imitate him. Show us how you want us to be like Jesus in this church, in this place, Father. Show me a proud and arrogant and selfish man how you want me to be like Jesus in my humility. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here today. Father, if there's anybody here that has never bowed the knee or confessed with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, I pray that you'd move it on their hearts. Help them to find somebody in this building today that they know knows Jesus and ask them, show me how to bow the knee to Jesus today. Oh, Father, would you do it? And I pray that you'd bring us back here tonight, that we'd continue to celebrate the humility of our Savior and that we'd seek to imitate him in all that we do. Please go with us now, Father. What a glorious Savior we have. What a privilege it is to imitate the incarnation. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.